You're listening to Video Monsters, a weekly podcast. Uh, well, uh, mostly weekly. Sometimes more, sometimes less. <sighs> All right, fine. A mostly weekly podcast of Creatures Talking Features with your hosts, Nathan Simmons and Eric Harris. Video Monsters is brought to you by the Chattanooga Film Festival and Central Cinema in Knoxville, Tennessee. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at chatfilmfest.org and centralcinema865.com. And links for each of these can also be found on our pages, so be sure to follow us at Video Monster Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Hello and welcome to episode 344 of Video Monsters, where we take movies seriously, just not ourselves. I'm Nathan. I'm giving pause for for our not here comrade. Okay, he's not here. And I'm Dan. <laughs> Eric is definitely not here, but we have someone much, much better joining us tonight. Uh, <laughs> Eric, I love you, buddy. Uh, it's just always fun to give you shit when you're not here. Tonight we are You're trying- just replaceable. My very, very special guest, Robert Woods. Say hello, Robert. Hello. Yay. Howdy. It's me. (laughs) All the random chats in the the live podcast chat on Discord. (laughs) Our international audience is with us tonight. Uh, Robert, I'm so glad that you could join us because uh, we always have a blast talking to you. And we're always kind of shooting the shit with you anyways, so it's fun to be doing that, you know, over voice chat rather than just through the texts. I know, and I always feel bad when you come back on at like 12, 15, when I'm like, I desperately need to go to bed, and you're you're popping on, and I'm like, God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) That's all good. He's he's jumping on during lunch, and you're about to go to bed. Time differences are great. Uh, yeah, so yeah. if if you listen to our last episode, uh, I ended with, on our next episode, we're going to be talking about The Lighthouse. Well, we lied. Well, yeah, that's not what we're doing tonight. Um, tonight, we, we wanted to podcast, and we're not ready to talk about The Lighthouse, in part because I just watched it today, <laughs> and I need some time with that movie. Yeah, it's, I get that. Yeah. It, it's it's not that it's overwhelming. It's that I honestly don't know how I feel about it. I I know how much fun I had with it. All the fun. Spoilers. I love it. But just like <laughs> I I honestly don't know where my analysis where my analysis on the movie is yet. Because it's like, did it mean anything? Maybe or not. It might have meant absolutely nothing. Was it entertaining? Absolutely not. But I had a blast with it. Was it artsy? <laughs> yes, but also it literally starts with a fart. So, like, I, I, I don't know where my analysis is. I have a leaning. I think that I know what I think of the film, <laughs> but I need to watch The Witch first to really mm-hmm. solidify some stuff because yeah. I might have a hot take on Robert Eggers. And oh. uh, I don't know how hot it'll be, depending on what it is. I. Yeah. Have you seen The Northman? Not yet. Yeah. The, so my my initial impressions, I have never heard anyone describe him this way. And so I, I need more information before I can actually make that assessment. Uh, so yeah, we're not talking about Lighthouse tonight. 
but if you've not seen it watch it go watch it right now and and then come back and join us on our next episode when we talk about the lighthouse actually you know what don't leave right now because we're not talking we're not going to spoil anything tonight <laughs> so there's no reason to leave us Please don't people don't us. need to leave, Nathan. We're we're not <laughs> talking about it. Remember, I just got here. <laughs> All right, Robert, you can stick around. Damn, I guess you can stay too. Uh, I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna watch it again. Uh, wait, no, that that won't work at all. No, stick around for this episode, then go watch The Lighthouse, and then join us again when we actually talk about it. Uh, but but yeah, we we're not quite ready to talk about The Lighthouse, but we needed to use our words. So uh, we threw together a podcast tonight, and that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. That sounds about right. Yeah. What are we talking about? <laughs> that's a great question. Why don't we start, uh, Dan, with the segment that you wanted to do? Let's start with a <laughs> loving tribute to Ray Liotta, God rest his soul, who passed away last night, today, this morning. It was today, yeah. Okay. Well, it was today that it was reported. Yeah, so Ray Liotta, uh, Ray Liotta it was reported today uh, passed away, and so you know, in in what little tribute we can, we're we're gonna mm-hmm. pay some homage to him and talk, you know, just a little bit about some of his movies. And Dan, I have a feeling you're gonna be leading this one because I, um, it it is criminal how like underseen of his movies uh i am yeah that that was a very poorly structured sentence it's criminal how few of his movies i've seen when i looked on letterboxd and he's been in over 100 movies and then yeah. i listed out the ones that i've seen in our chat and i have seen one two three four five six seven eight i've seen yeah. eight of his movies well he's 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 such an odd actor because i mean he's been in some obvious big films but he was very much like a b thriller yeah, kind of actor for a large majority of his career, but he was just one of those actors that was always so goddamn good. Um, I mean, he's he's got that place in my heart because he was in um, two very big films of my of my childhood. Uh, first one being Goodfellas, which I thought you were going to say the Muppets. <laughs> uh, two Muppet movies because he was also two in Muppets movies. in Space. Uh, yeah. <laughs> one, probably one of the only actors to be in two Muppet movies now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, you know what's really sad? And when I was looking at all the movies that he's been in, the Muppet movies are the ones that I'm most like, oh man, how have I not seen those yet? Yeah. Well, Muppets in Space was not great. But uh But it's Muppets in no, Space. I mean, Goodfellas was just such a it was such a defining film for my my young childhood. That was like one of the first movies I watched and I was like damn movies can do this this is what movies are capable of um and ray liotta just uh, i hate that whenever people think of goodfellas they always think of pesci's acting performance which is good but it's the showy small supporting performance right i mean he in my opinion he outacts everybody in that film including de niro he's just so damn believable and uh, one of the few terrifying scenes that I remember the most is after he just beat the hell out of that guy with a gun like pistol whips the neighbor who took off with his wife and he just comes back to the car to hand you know from the car to hand her the gun and his hair is just all askew and he's got this wild look in his eyes it's just god damn that's acting right there that dude is terrifying (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I came to Goodfellas very, very late because I, I, man, people who listen to this podcast know this very well about me. But as much as I absolutely adore movies, there's a huge chunk of movies that I just haven't seen yet. Um, you know, like growing up, my parents didn't let me watch some of the more violent and more horrific stuff. So, you know, a, a lot of the stuff that I saw as a kid was, you know, like family movies. But I still still love movies. It's still... Um, that's where my appreciation for movies grew, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But like a lot of the classics I've only been getting to over the last few years. When I got to Goodfellas, I was like, this movie's going to be overrated. You know, it's going to be, it's going to be another one of those movies that everyone talks about how great it is. There's no way it's going to live up to that. And I watched it. I was like, yeah, okay. The, this, this is amazing. Yeah. I, I just, I want to yeah. watch it again right now. I don't have another four hours, but I want to watch it again right now. <laughs> so damn good. Yeah. It's it's the movie that when I decided I was going to write my start my movie blog about '90s films, you have to start with Goodfellas. It's such a defining film of the '90s. Um, and yeah, again, hands to um to that Tom Stoppard play. <laughs> <laughs> Rosie oh, he Pratt's did. and Gilbertson are dead. Oh, that's such a great film, though. That's such a great film. I love that but play. It's better than. Movie. Goodfellas, probably not in, in, uh, in hindsight. <laughs> no, but, still, but I did see Rosencrantz and Guildenstern when I was younger, so I am more familiar with that. Yeah, I, then, I was actually more familiar with that as well. But I didn't, I didn't watch Goodfellas until much, much later as well, because oh. I just was never into uh, gangster movies really. Um, and I, I would watch a handful of them and appreciate them, but it was just a, a kind of a genre that. I had trouble getting into from oh. from a, a young age, so I watched it late and appreciated it probably a lot more than if I had seen it as a kid. Mm. I think. Well, I, I mean, I first saw it when I was fifteen, and and to paraphrase the film, you know, all my life I just wanted to watch a gangster film. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I I cannot count the amount of times I watched that movie when I was like fifteen. Because like when you're fifteen and you want to be a badass, like. That film was where it was at. This was pre-Tarantino, so no one could be like, oh, "I'm gonna, you know, endlessly quote the Jules Winfield speech." It's you know, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quote you know, Ray Liotta in Goodfellas, um, and then of course Field of Dreams, which was like the other. If you're a baseball player in the '80s, you watched Field of Dreams over and over and over again. If you were alive in the, <laughs> which is 80s. weird because it's not a big actual baseball film. There's very little baseball actually in it, but that movie had such resonance that they now have a Field of Dreams game every year now in Iowa, which they made a field in the middle of a cornfield, and you know Major League Baseball plays there in a field that has like 600 seats tops, I think. And it's the cool, th- coolest thing, and it's only because of that film. Yeah, that was also though. Um like that was back when Kevin Costner was also like, you know, a, a movie star uh, before mm-hmm. he had done some of his other films that people started <laughs> looking less and less on him. So like Field of Dreams, like that movie mm-hmm. was ubiquitous. That was one that before I even really cared about baseball, like, you know, I, I watched that movie and I I loved baseball because of that movie. Mm-hmm. Sort of, you know, it, it has been so long since I've seen that one. But whenever I think about like the great baseball movies, that one is always in the forefront of my mind just because of the the lasting impact that it had, regardless of whether or not it actually is that good of a baseball movie. It's just, you know, it's it's in the zeitgeist of 
when you think mm-hmm. baseball movies. You think uh, Field of Dreams, you think The Natural, and you think Sandlot. And that's just, you know, what happens. Uh, and, and, and Bull Durham. And Bull Durham. Fine. Oh. <laughs> Which reminds me, it was, I, I was so disappointed. I know this. there's no way, because again, I coach a middle school baseball team. And one of my kids thinks he can throw sliders and curveballs, even though he's 12 and throws about 50 miles an hour, which means he, he physically cannot throw a slider. So he, he walks a lot of people because he's trying to throw these fancy pitches. So I've just been trying to get him to throw fastballs that people can hit. <laughs> and he's like, well, and he's like, well, I don't want to hit him. I want to strike him out. And I went, strikeouts are fascist. <laughs> and he just kind of looks at me. I'm like, I'm quoting a movie. He has no idea what I'm talking about because he's yep. 12. <laughs> But <laughs> one day, kid, you might watch Bull Durham and be like, hey, Mr. F- Coach Fleming knew what he was talking about. Wait, baseball's not really a thing in Australia. <laughs> so, <laughs> so everything I know about baseball is is from American films. Yeah, um, yeah you, guys have, you guys have cricket, right? We've got cricket. And yeah. we've got uh, Aussie rugby. rules, football. Yeah. And rugby. Um, our football is quite different, but I do remember seeing Field of Dreams randomly on television when I was on holiday and watching it um, with like no context at all, and just thinking, "This is a really weird film." <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine without like without like, a- zero context, with like no idea who anyone was, just watching this film. And I was like, this is a bizarre movie. Who came up with this? Why am I watching it? I would love to see it. quite hypnotic. I would love to see the cricket equivalent um, where, you know, it's like a supernatural people coming back from the dead to play cricket. That would be amazing. It's uh, Understanding the rules of cricket is supernatural, man. (laughs) Yeah, it's also, there's a lot of... uh, colonialism involved with cricket if people came back from the dead that could be quite problematic so mm. that could be fun yeah <laughs> that probably would be much more of like a straight up horror movie then rather than a oh look at these greats yeah well and that's interesting now that I'm thinking about it, like Leota's never really done I mean he might have done some really bad ones but nothing I can think of as mainstream he didn't really do much for horror movies which is he strange did, he did identity the, the, the one yeah, identity. I, yeah. I don't really count with this identity. a horror movie, though. <laughs> oh, it, it is kind of a supernatural thriller. It's not yeah. really. It's it kind of. It pushes into it, but that's that's kind of the fun of that film. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. that, that's splitting hairs. But I would put it as a horror movie. I would absolutely put it as like a it's stalker. Advertised as a horror film. Yeah, it. I don't. I think that it was mismarketed because I don't think that oh. that it lived up to the marketing. And the first time that I saw it, I liked it. Revisiting it, I love it. I I legitimately love Identity, and yeah. ah, there's there's something about it. Maybe it's because like it 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 has that uh, sort of psycho feel because you know it's all taking place at a hotel, and and you don't know who the killer is. I I don't know. It feels very much. It's, it's the very Agatha Christie ten mm-hmm. setup. It's the classic who done it set up but uh the the reveal of the murder is so freaking insane (laughs) i remember i was so mad at myself because i figured it out and not because like i was super smart or knew clues i just knew who the actor pruitt taylor vince was yeah and i'm like he hasn't shown up where's pruitt taylor vince 
Oh god, this is all going to be like inside his head or something. <laughs> Spoilers. Yeah, I I don't love the ending, but I can almost appreciate it. It's the, the, the weird thing about identity, and then we can actually get into the segment that you wanted to do of our top five uh, Ray Liotta performances. Well, we're kind of still doing it. We're kind of still doing it. Uh, the, the thing about identity is there's so much about that film that I feel is so heavily inspired from the greats in a way that I do feel like it's doing it justice, but it's missing something like it. Uh, like I said, it has that sort of psycho feel. So it has some Hitchcockian stuff. Uh, Robert, you know, pointing out that it's 10 little Indians. Absolutely. And I, I love the 10 little Indian story. You know, that's it, it's such a simple, basic murder mystery plot. But something about that, maybe it's because it's one of the earliest uh, murder mystery novels I read as a kid. But I love that one. As you know, so it's got some of that with the uh, like creepy kid. It's got some Stephen King esque stuff going on. It's a really, really great movie that I feel like is just missing something, but I can't put my finger on what it's missing. And so it's hard to say why it's not like even more revered than I think that it should be. It's kind of like when you're baking and you put in all the ingredients, but something just doesn't quite taste right but you don't know what you need to add. It's like, all right, does this need cinnamon or, or does it need, you know, like, uh, like base seasoning? What, what does this need? Does it need savory? Does it need sweet? Why is this? I mean, it's fine. It's just not popping. And that's kind of how I feel about identity. I love it. And we need to do an episode on it because we could easily talk for hours about that. But yeah, something about it. That, that's just a little bit off. I think is why more people don't appreciate it, but man, it's, it's so good. And Ray Liotta does such a great job of playing because he's the, he's the escaped convict, right? Or the, is, is that right? Is that who he played? The, I I'm trying to, it's been such a long time since I've seen it. Like I, I want to say spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. The problem with looking back at all of these, these uh, films that he's been in is I, I'm looking at, the list of films he's in and i'm like i've seen this and this and this i do not remember so many of them are like <laughs> there's that. so many that like he's those. like played a played a, a side character or a or or a some someone that comes in and, and does a, a choose the scenery and then and then leaves yeah. and i like he was in hubie halloween who was he in that <laughs> I, I was thinking that about date night but only because i saw that once years ago and i can't remember anything about it um, yeah. but I, I want to say that an identity, so he's <laughs> like the, the convict that escaped and is now pretending to be the police officer that he killed. Mm. And so like, he's doing a great job of seeming very, you know, like, like, like police manny, but also seeming very sinister. And he just does a, such a great job of kind of playing that dual role and never know whether or not you should trust him or if he should be the least trustworthy, which, you know, I, I think that that plays great against John Cusack because, you know, how, how can you not trust John Cusack? He's lovable and adorable yeah. and everyone loves John Cusack until Ray Liotta starts accusing him. And then you're like, oh, shit, who's, who's lying? Who's telling the truth? I just, I don't know, something about identity really sticks with me and and i love it yeah i that that was very much a formative film for me in terms of it coming out on that in that golden age of dvds where director's commentaries were still 
a thing. <laughs> and I, I still vividly remember some, some lines from that commentary. That, that was my film school was listening to director's <laughs> commentaries in, in early 2000s DVDs. <laughs> As it should have been. Who directed that? Yeah. Pulling up the, uh, the letterbox right now. James Mangold. That's who directed that. Who also directed? He can, he can direct anything. <laughs> he can direct any any genre of film. Yes, Mangold is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it, it it will not be the last time you hear his name on my top five, Ray Liotta. Yeah, right. I was gonna say it's the yeah another one of his is was gonna be in mine. Yeah. <laughs> we, we could very easily do a uh, well I say very easily we could just be pushing it with the man gold punch out because there's uh, four eight twelve <laughs> sixteen and it looks like some of those might be shorts. Mm. We could wait, almost wait until do the new um, full thing. Wait until the new Indiana Jones comes out and then do it <laughs> and then do it then. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> Yeah, so so let's go through. I, I guess we can do like a, a top five, or maybe we can just do the, some of our top ones. Because I, I'll just start with these are the only ones that I've seen. I've only seen Karina Karina, John Q, Smoke and Aces, Date Night, Field of Dreams, Identity, Hannibal, and Goodfellas. And oh. it's been. I, <laughs> you missed a couple. Yeah. I missed. Yeah, you're, you're you're missing three out of my five. I'm missing quite a Have few. You? Have you seen the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? <laughs> I have seen most yes, of the I unbreakable have. Kimmy Schmidt. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like in looking at the films that he's, he's been, been in. He's in a lot of TV as well. Yeah, yeah and like looking at the stuff great. that he's been in, I don't remember much about Date Night. Uh, you know, it was, it was fine, but I can't remember what he even uh, played in that movie. If he had like just a minor cameo or if he had a major role, I don't remember. Karina, Karina. Um, it's been years since I've seen it, but you know he he stood out in that john q uh, again it's also been years since i've seen that one but the other ones smoke and aces field of dreams identity hannibal and goodfellas you know those are aside from smoke and aces some solid films so i, I feel like, like smoking aces i didn't say that i didn't like it i said that it's not that good i nah. let's, let's you know what let's talk a second about smoke and aces Smoking Aces. I do not dislike that movie. <laughs> it's, it's not that it's not good. It's that it didn't live up to what I was expecting it to be. Because right. it was hyped up. Uh, yeah, like it was hyped up. I, I had a zero expectations going in and I thought it would be a just a really bad um, ripoff of uh, what's his what's his face? The guy that did Revolver. Oh, Guy Ritchie. Guy, yeah, I thought I thought it would just be a, a really bad riff on on a Guy Ritchie film, which and you know it kind, kind of is, kind of is. Um, but it was more, it was more fun than I was expecting yeah. it to be. I thought it was just going to be straightforward gangsters shooting out each other. Um, but there was there was a bit of style to it. There was a bit of fun yeah. Well, Joe, uh, the director's Joe Carnahan, and he's definitely got some some panache when he wants to. He's an odd yeah. filmmaker because so many of his films I've really, really liked, and other ones I'm like, this this was not yeah. good. <laughs> Is this the same director? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, same. I think, and I think Smoking Aces was probably one of his better film, one of one of his best films. Sadly, I think I think his best his, his best film, which will come up again, was. 
I mean, it was his second one, but it was his first one that he was really no well known for. Um, this was one of the ones you haven't seen. Yeah, uh, Narc. Oh yeah, yeah. I've, With him and Jake Patrick, love that damn film. Still have not seen Narc. Smoke and Aces when it came out, like it was overhyped and it was played up a little bit to be kind of like very Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez esque, and like I I get why. But that's it. That's not what the film is, and and I wish that it had focused a little bit more on just like that darker character study of Jeremy Piven that just also happens to have a bunch of people trying to kill him. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I need to revisit that one because I remember not hating it, but just kind of being disappointed when I got to the end. I think that I still bought Smoking Aces too. You know, cause. <laughs> but uh, yeah. <laughs> Oddly enough, uh, Joe Carnahan was supposed to be the director of Bad Boys for Life, but dropped out of it before they started filming. I would have been very intrigued to see what his Bad Boys film would have been like. Because it seems like such a terrible mismatch. Or the best kind of mismatch. (laughs) Sometimes that works. You never Mm. know. People get surprised. (laughs) Better suited for a uh, Fast and the Furious film. Um, All right, Dan. What are what are some of your uh, favorite uh, Ray Liotta performances? Because again, I, I listed all of mine. They're pretty straightforward. Um, and you know, for you to say he's not done that much horror, I've got Identity and Hannibal, and <laughs> both of those are horror movies. And Hannibal, <laughs> he's he's good. You know, Hannibal. Oh, uh, oh, Hannibal. Look, uh, when, when I think of Ray Liotta, when, when I think of Ray Liotta, Hannibal the- is one of the first films that I think of <clears throat> off the top of my head. Wow. 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 <laughs> All right. For me, we've got the aforementioned Goodfellas, Field of Dreams, and Narc. Um, and then the other two are the first film I ever saw in a, fil- a college film class. So I knew this must be important because it was the first <laughs> film we watched in college film. Uh, and that was Jonathan Demi's Something Wild. Sure. Wow. He, he's, he's just absolutely terrifying in that film so goddamn scary that was really early yeah his- oh yeah very he looks so he looks so young but still somehow weathered in it <laughs> um, and then uh, my favorite performance of his even though it's, he's not in the film all that much and he is definitely not the actor that got the kudos for this film and that's Copland James Mangold's Copland I had Copland on my list. He's well. his role is small, but damn, he owns every scene. I mean, just the scene when he put um, Bryce Robert Patrick up against the dartboard and put the dart in his nose and held it. I was like, that is so badass. Mm. Yeah, he's just you know a man who's like coked out half the time and out of his mind and. <laughs> trying just to stay even though he himself is a, a cop just trying to stay like one step ahead of you know having everything come crashing down and he just plays so wild-eyed and so out of control and it, it's just a wonderful performance seems to be a, a, a kind of performance that people go to for him quite often mm-hmm. like uh, a crazy intimidating <laughs> Yeah, kind of guy, and then and then from that he's also gotten a whole bunch of roles in comedies, mm-hmm. kind of playing that or playing against type with that. Um, yeah, which he's wonderful at as well. Yeah, because yeah. he's oh. done 
he's done so many comedy films. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorites is um, a film that I feel like was kind of misadvertised as well. Um, Observe and Report. Yes. I yeah. adore that film so much. It's so dark. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so bleak. Yeah. Um, that just had the bad luck of coming out like right after Paul Blart Mall Cop. So that's yeah. what everyone just assumed that was going to be. Yeah. And it's, um, but it's, it's so, <laughs> it's, it's feels so dangerous. That whole film, <laughs> I'm like on the edge of my seat in a comedy film. It's <laughs> 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 as a comedy. Yeah. Um, it's so wonderful. And he is, he is just a, he is an act, uh, playing a cop again, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, such a such a great film, and again, one of those bit parts that he's he just comes in and mm-hmm. chooses scenery, does what he needs to do, gets out. Mm-hmm. I think the first film I would have seen him in would have been Operation Dumbo Drop. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and, uh, love it. Again, that is a film that has an amazing ensemble cast. He's in a lot of films with like amazing ensemble casts. Mm-hmm. He's always like, like one of the troupe that like that everyone is delivering great performances. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Maybe that's that's how I'll remember him. Is like, like whenever he shows up in a film, people bring their A game. Yeah, <laughs> he's always he's always hanging around. Great casts of people. Um, yeah, I also had Smoking Aces and Identity. Um, mm. But there's a whole bunch more in there. Um, someone uh, on Facebook was arguing that uh, his performance in the U Ball film Dungeon Siege <laughs> oh, God. Uh, w- uh, is like makes that film watchable. <laughs> No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if I would agree, but I like I like the idea. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. his scenes are watchable, but that movie, oh, well, I mean, you can say for any Ubo film that they're they're just not good. <laughs> but he's like he showed up in so many great films, killing them softly. Mm-hmm. The place beyond the pines mm-hmm. um, is fantastic. He he is in Revolver, which is mm-hmm. a Guy Ritchie film, so yep. <laughs> definitely one of them. Um, yeah, Marriage Story yep. recently. Some of my favorites one. are his uh, his mid nineties output, like the for me the video oh, store right. movies that he put out with like No Escape and Turbulence and Unforgettable and um, oh, Christ, Unlawful Entry. The, the last know, film. Oh, Phoenix. I yeah, the last film I saw him in um, was The Many Saints of Newark. Yeah. Which is weird for me because I went to see it at the cinema and I've never seen The Sopranos. So mm-hmm. I thought, what will happen? <laughs> will I understand what's going on? Mm-hmm. And I did. And and he has has a great performance in that as yeah. uh, the, the guy in jail for pretty much mm-hmm. the whole film. <laughs> Which is cool because he's his character, uh, Dickie Moltisante, is a f- character that's dead by the time the show is on. 
and is you know he's always spoken of with like great reverence like because it's Chris one of the main characters Christopher's dad so it's always like oh well your dad your dad was such a guy you know and yeah. so it's like when I when they announce it I'm like who are they gonna get to play that because that character is mythical but and you know nothing about him other than all the reverence all these you know guys had for him and then when they cast Leota I was like well shit that works you know <laughs> Yeah, it was perfect casting for that. Yeah, and it's a it's a very pivotal role in the film, and mm-hmm. there's there's actually yeah, he I think it's like three or four big scenes with mm-hmm. him in the jail, and they're all but just in that short amount of time, just the amount of depth <laughs> that mm-hmm. you can bring and nuance to a character and internal conflict that you read <laughs> on this guy is like wow, that's awesome. Um, yeah. Well, and maybe, maybe it's because he's played like so many of, you know, like some of those, uh, darker roles and some of those, uh, you know, basically period pieces. But whenever I think of Ray Liotta, I, I think of him as like a very classic actor, you know, like he, he just kind of has that feel of like the fifties or sixties, you know, like Mm -hmm. I I could see him, uh, being a contemporary time period. Yeah. Well, he literally, he literally played Frank Sinatra in a rat back. Like that's the thing which, is like I which, could like seeing him be like Sinatra or like a contemporary of Marlon Brando, like young Brando or like, I don't know. There's just something about just the, the gravitas that he brings to the screen that has that much more classic feel. The, uh, the other weird thing about Ray Liotta, I've only apparently seen eight of his movies, but I feel like I've seen so many more or like I at least know of him from so many more and it's and it's weird. I don't know if it's because of uh, like just seeing him in a few movies that are just like so iconic, and just because he he did have such a personality that stuck with you regardless of the film, or if it's because he just kind of in a weird way almost has like that everyman feel. You know, like I, I kind of think of Ray Liotta and uh, Liv Schreiber as. <laughs> as as very similar in terms of like I feel like I've seen Liv Schreiber in everything. If I actually mm. counted how many movies I've seen him in, maybe ten. But just like <laughs> I, I feel like I've seen him in so many, and like I I get that same feeling from Leota. I just I feel like he's been in so many more things that he hasn't been. Like I thought that he was in Cape Fear. Nope, he's not. He is not in Cape Fear. <laughs> I thought that he was in. Um, well. I, I didn't actually think that he was in, but I could see him have been having been in striking distance that Bruce Willis movie, but nope, he wasn't in that one. There's just so <laughs> many of those movies that I feel like I've seen him in that he wasn't actually in, um, which, you know, don't really have anywhere that I'm going with that. That is just an observation. Well, I'm sure he'll continue showing up in films <laughs> that you're, you're watching. <laughs> In fact, he's he's actually in one of my most anticipated films coming out, um, the the Cocaine Bear movie. <laughs> what? I'm so excited for that! <laughs> and I saw he's he's in that film, so um, I hope that he they've finished shooting and that is, I get to see that performance. Is the name of the movie the Cocaine Bear movie? It's called Cocaine Bear. But, awesome! Um, mm-hmm. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds amazing. Uh, if they ever do a Ray Liotta biopic, they need to get Michael Shannon to play him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like he could do a good job of that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Amazing. All right. 
Uh, anything else to say about Ray Liotta? I mean, there's obviously a ton to say, but anything else that you're, you're feeling especially driven to talk about with him? Um, no, it's I, just, it definitely made me want to watch eight more of his films tonight. Sure. You know, <laughs> I, I will say I regretted it at the time. Um, and it still hasn't felt any better in passing, but I did buy a ticket and go and see Wild Hogs in the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> so, that I don't feel like you can lay the blame of that film on his feet, though. <laughs> I, I don't think I lay the blame of that on, on really anyone that was in that film, <laughs> except for the ones that produced it as well. <laughs> but, like, I'm sure they had a great time filming that film. Um, I wish some of that translated to... Watching it in the audience for me, but um, yeah, and it, and it was was one of those films where like, kind of like Paul Blart Mall Cop, I guess that we mentioned earlier. Everyone was shitting on it, and you never know. I I everyone shat on Observe and Report, and I absolutely loved that film. Um, so I thought I'll go and see it just in case. But no, I they really didn't. Enjoy that film. Well, and, and made a sequel. Wasn't that around the time that they were like doing, uh, just not necessarily Ray Liotta, but wasn't that around the time that there were a lot of like aging movie stars doing younger things? So, like the Space Cowboys, yeah. um, you know, mm. where you've got, you know, like Clint Eastwood and the other old people going up and doing that's, their best impersonation of Armageddon. Uh, and and there was uh, like like secondhand lions, but that's not the only one that I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of a different movie that also had a, a, again just like a lot of those. All right, we used to be big movie stars, but now we're old, so let's do a, we're we're gonna do old things. Um, the, oh, the the one that just came out a few years ago with Robert De Niro, where like he's going back to Vegas and gosh, what was yeah. the name of that one? Yeah, they do a heist. Yeah. Freeman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, there's, there's been a, a lot of them recently. Speaking of uh, old guys going back and, and, and doing what they were doing in their youth, I watched the new Top Gun film last night. Oh. <laughs> what did you think of it? Because I have heard basically one review repeated over and over and over with slightly different flavor text. Yeah. What was that? basically that like it's a really really fun you know like tom cruise action movie that is totally pointless and is just like like an exercise in machismo and mm-hmm. you know like the fact that they didn't bring back the female lead i'm forgetting her name right now which is terrible kelly kelly mcginnis yes they didn't bring back kelly mcginnis and like they had to you know find a newer younger love interest and how like that is a a thing in uh, a lot of these movies where they're trying to you know recapture a movie that came out 20 30 40 years ago and they have like all the original dudes and then a new young hot woman and like how problematic that is and uh yeah so pretty much all the reviews that i've read about it have been like this is a really really fun movie that should never have been made because Mm -hmm. it's kind of (laughs) kind of machismo dumbness it it's it's definitely uh from the 80s (laughs) they've definitely (laughs) captured they've definitely captured the tropes and the dialogue of of (laughs) 80s-ness um (laughs) 
and I think if you are a fan of the original Top Gun, there's there's a lot to like about this new one. Um, I only watched the original Top Gun maybe last year for the first time. I think it was for the first time, but it was one of those things where before every scene happened, I knew in my head, oh, this is what happens next. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's the scene where this happens. Um, It's like one of those things that I I either had seen it or I've just absorbed the film through osmosis from pop pop culture. Um, Or maybe you had seen Hot Shots before. I, you know, the, the, I vividly remember rewatching Hot Shots at least thirty times in one year. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it is a problem that I had seen Hot Shots so much, and is, I kind of knew all the beats from that film. That um, is not a problem so, at all. The egg cooking on the stomach. <laughs> yeah, and I was really kind of hoping that um, Top Gun Maverick would actually just remake hot shots too <laughs> but um they didn't they didn't do a vietnam war thing um that's fine uh, <laughs> but, um but yeah like they they basically set up a very simple story but what's nice about the new one um something that the original film didn't have is stakes mm. um, there there is actually there is actually a through line through the entire film um, and like, you know, a, a counting, a ticking clock and a, you know, a, a goal from the get-go. It's not just, you know, we're going to be the best and then uh, training and then, oh, suddenly <laughs> there's a threat. Like there's a threat from the beginning, which is really nice. It, it gives <laughs> it gives the film some some drive and some purpose. And of course the uh, the third act is 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 great. I think it's it's a fun watch ish. It's much like the first one, there's a lot less action in it than you would think. Mm-hmm. Just from remembering it. Um it is it's it's a dialogue film. And then there's some aerial shots every now and then. But they are great aerial shots, so there's that. So two questions. Do you mm. think that it would have been a better movie? if it had just been a different movie and not a Top Gun sequel? And uh, is there like a super rad beach volleyball scene? <laughs> um, there 100% is a rad beach volleyball scene equivalent. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, okay. The one thing that annoyed me about it was that there was a line of dialogue at the end that justified its place in the film. Oh, <laughs> And I was like, no, the point was that it was gratuitous. <laughs> um, the point is that it's dumb. That's why it's supposed to be yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I guess like it's one of those, you know, modern blockbuster films where every character gets an arc <laughs> and, and every scene has some kind of point to it. Um, so I'll play that. Um, as for it being an original film versus being a Top Gun film. Um, it's so intrinsically a Top Gun film and a sequel to the first film that I'm not sure if it was like, I don't know, Stealth. Was that that Jessica Biel movie? Or like, I can't think of like other like <laughs> fighter pilot <laughs> movies. That uh, Iron movies Eagle? That. I, I don't think I've seen Iron Eagle. 
Oh, Iron Eagle's a treat. That is a movie that could only exist in the 80s. <laughs> with one of those, you know, where a kid, a kid's, a kid, it's it's a bunch of Air Force brats or Navy brats that are growing up on an Air Force base, and the, the kid's father is flying a mission and gets shot down over, like, an Iraq-type country, but we won't go get him because it would interfere with, like, you know, relations between the countries. So uh, a retired uh, Lou Gossett Jr. trains one of the kids to fly one of the jets to go on the rescue mission. So, like, this 16-year-old kid flies a jet to, like, Iraq to rescue it's like his space dad. Camp or something. Yes, no. it's like space camp, but for the Top Gun <laughs> wannabes. Right. I see. It's... Uh, it's a glorious, the awful, awesome film. So, Dan, uh, well, yeah, I don't think the new Top Gun w- exists without the original. Like, there's just no point, and there's, mm. and it doesn't, definitely doesn't exist without Tom Cruise, um, mm-hmm. because expensive and <laughs> the, the kind of story that it is, and the amount of action in it compared to what we would expect for our dollar these days is. Is wildly inconsistent. So, um, uh, yeah, it's uh, certainly if it if it did exist, it it just it wouldn't have been made in the way that it was made. I as in like with real jets and actual <laughs> footage of the actors in in jets flying around at great expense to a studio. Um, <laughs> it would have just been yeah just been you know uh green screen or visual <laughs> effects, which is yeah uh cg much easier to do cg now <laughs> well when tom cruise learns to fly a jet he wants to show it off <laughs> yeah it's better things that he could be there's doing a lot of whatever. flying in this <laughs> there there is there is one one scene of gratuitous flying <laughs> um jennifer Connolly's role is the most 80s female in an action film role and it it does feel kind of belittling and offensive in in the way that like Jennifer Connelly can do things like (laughs) and and she sells that that material that nothing of a role so well (laughs) she does everything that is required and she does it with a plum Um, and (laughs) uh, I just I just I just want wish more f- for her. Yeah, and like, it's, it's, it is it, it is weird that they just like do not bother. Some of the modern movies, it's so frustrating because you can have that eighties throwback feel without having some of the problematic eighties things. You know, like um, Eric and I, I think for the first time when we covered this about two years ago, uh, when we watched Meatballs, we both. <laughs> love that movie it is a great great summer camp movie and uh you know like bill murray is just just fantastic i mean he's doing a great job and then there's the one super problematic scene that i'm sure during the 80s because i only watched it for the first time again like right before we recorded it i'm sure that during the 80s or late 70s whenever it came out felt very much just like oh haha he's just being playful and fun but it's like straight up sexual assault and mm-hmm. it is so uncomfortable and so like I, I love the rest of the movie so 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 very much and then it gets to that one scene 
that like I, I want to block it out of my mind because of how much I love the rest of the movie and it's like oh this this just feels so wrong and like you can I, I'm not trying to justify that scene because it's bad and it's wrong and like they need to do a director's cut that just cuts it out and the movie would not suffer whatsoever at the time there was a different cultural understanding and and again it's not excusing it but looking at it through that lens it's kind of like watching a movie from the 30s or the 40s where all the women are dames and it's just like that's not good (laughs) within the context of that time you can understand you know a little bit more about it not justifying it not saying it's good but it was you know part of the times Mm-hmm. But to go back and do something like that now, it's just like, shouldn't people, you know, know better? You know, like movies like Porky's or Re- Revenge of the Nerds would never get made now, at least not in their current uh, their current state. Like there would be something different about them because those movies are incredibly problematic. But but yeah, like there, there's so many movies nowadays that are trying to recapture that 80s feel that they're they're recapturing the wrong things and it's just like you can you can have a fun 80s tom cruise action movie without having like the dumb machismo the women are just there for eye candy kind of stuff and it's it's frustrating i feel like that's what he's got mission impossible for <laughs> i think mean, he's doing tough Gun and he's like well if we, we're gonna do it we may as well lean into it <laughs> it's uh yeah, it, it is it is filled with cheese and just dialogue that had my jaw on the floor. It's like, oh wow, mm-hmm. they're just they're just flat out doing this. Okay, <laughs> this kind of kind of kind of uh, took me by surprise at, at how much they're just like leaning into that the eighties dialogue. <laughs> now, at, um, at any point, that, did it... that's kind of what was fun about it. <laughs> At any point, did it feel like they were trying to do it intentionally to show how dumb that was? Um, so, like, for example... You know, it's that Paul Verhoeven thing where I'm like, I don't know how much this is satire or it just is the thing that it's satire. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like it is intentional, but it's, it's just done so straight that... You can take it either way, I guess. Yeah, like that's one of the things that I think about Quentin Tarantino and his films. You know, a lot of the dialogue and certain words that a lot of his characters use and the way that those characters act, it's like, this is terrible, but the characters are supposed to be terrible. Like I, I don't know if you I don't know if there's any characters in any Tarantino films that are just like straight up good people that you're just really rooting for because they are good there might be sympathetic characters. There might be characters that you're rooting for because they're kind of badass, but like they're all bad. You know, can, can you think of any good person in, uh, in Pulp Fiction? Can you think of any good person? Okay. Um, let me take a step back. Even movies like, um, uh, inglorious bastards. Like mm-hmm. there are the, the um, God, I am terrible with names. The woman that's playing the uh, the uh, cinema owner that escaped him when she was younger. The German, yeah, or French, yeah, the French girl. Uh, yeah. I can't remember her name. She she is good, but like even all the bastards, like they are bastards. They are terrible people. They're doing good by eliminating evil, 
but they're eliminating evil through evil. So like when they're seeing and doing terrible things, you're not like, oh, what? How could they be saying this? And you're like, oh yeah, no, Brad Pitt is he's taking out Nazis. Good for him. Mm-hmm. He's Diane, also Diane Kruger. Diane Kruger. Yeah, she is great. And like her character is good. As good as the character can be. But like all, all of his characters, there's something so mm-hmm. just humanly vile about them that when they say terrible things, it's just kind of like, yeah, that tracks for their character because you're not supposed to like those characters. And I, I think that Tarantino not gets away with it, but is able to pull it off in a way that it fits the tone of the movies. There's still problematic things, but, but yeah, then there's other movies, you know, like Top Gun that I wonder sometimes like, are they trying to show that the eighties were a problematic time for women or do they not realize that? And yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of rose tinted glasses looking back at the, the past in this one, but they, they do, they do reiterate a lot that is like, that was 30 years ago and you are an old man now, Tom Cruise. You can't, you can't be doing this stuff anymore. You're a failure. Um, that's a big part of the, the, the character though. Like, yeah. Anyway, it, it was, it was fun. I, I, I wanted to see the, hear the Dolby Atmos. So, <laughs> like, yeah, I'll go opening night. I'll see that. Fair enough. Uh, you know what I watched recently that I really wish that we were doing a full episode on? Chip and Dale. I want to see Chip and Dale because I watched the cartoon <laughs> all the time as a kid. And mm. and there are certain episodes that like I still very clearly remember. Now, I finally, finally watched uh Midsommar for the first time. <sighs> I'm, what a delight. I'm so <laughs> sad that that movie lost in our, our <laughs> A24 popcorn punch out. I'm glad that we covered Spring Breakers. I had a lot of fun with Spring Breakers. Man, I'm sad that Midsommar lost because that movie is I've I've had a few discussions online in you know like various Discord groups and uh chats with friends. There's something about that movie that like it it will not leave me. It is still stuck with me. It's not a scary movie at all. It is mm. endlessly haunting though. Mm-hmm. But not because <laughs> say what? It's cathartic. It, it is incredibly <laughs> cathartic. And it's, it's uh, much like Hereditary, I find them both horrifying and hilarious at the same time. <laughs> there were a lot of scenes that I was laughing, but like it's not scary. And the things that haunt me about it aren't necessarily the things that I think other people find haunting. Like, you know, the, the people jumping off the spoilers. But it's also what the five years old. When did that movie come out? Long enough ago that we can talk about it. Mm-hmm. The uh, plus, you know, it's been memed to death. So like everyone already knows the the bear stuff at the end. <laughs> uh, so speaking of cocaine bears, <laughs> the the people jumping off the cliff, not what's terrifying. The cult, not what's terrifying. The stuff that is stuck with me is in large part because of the conversations that have come up afterwards of how how Danny is uh, uh, played by uh, Florence Pugh, how she is so, so clearly being emotionally manipulated by Christian. And I forget who plays Christian, <laughs> but like Christian is a fucking dick. And I uh, love uh, Christian. 
<laughs> I, I I love those characters though. They're always my favorite characters. The terrible those people. Kinds of characters. Yeah, like <laughs> I I just love them so. I, I love a character that's like uh, that is designed so that everyone in the audience hates them. They're my always my favorite characters. Yeah. Here's the thing though, and here's why this I movie. Love here's why i love this movie like more and more every single day since i've seen it not everyone who's seen that movie hates christian there was very specifically a reddit post of uh some dude you know it's a dude asking why does everyone hate christian it's not like he's evil or anything and within this reddit thread and i'm not going to repost it because i don't feel like directing more people to it but in the thread the dude is asking like why is everyone hating on christian i mean like he was you know the supportive rock for uh, for his girlfriend and like she wouldn't even have sex with him so like she put him through hell for like years and he was always there for her. when i was reading that post i was just like oh fuck you every other sentence like he blames danny for having mental health issues and i just like my brain was exploding i had i had a similar experience quite recently and I am shook. <laughs> I'm still shook. <laughs> um, I, I slyly tried to show my parents the invisible man. And <laughs> the, um, uh, uh, the, um, is, is that the one written by, uh, 1L? Yeah. 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 Uh, the, the new one, the Lee 1L one. Yeah. With Elizabeth Moss. And, um, my mother left at a rather violent scene and I was like, you'll miss the catharsis. It's just going to be a horror in your mind if you don't see the ending. But no, she was out. And my dad's takeaway, and this is what really horrified me. I'm like, oh, you are a man from a different generation, um, was that um, there's something wrong with Elizabeth Moss's character. I think she's doing all of this it's just she's evil i don't get it <laughs> yeah that was his takeaway wow that was his takeaway from the film <laughs> like do, do you know how to read a film oh my God. Like, do you understand oh my how God. stories work oh my god like <laughs> that's so problematic uh-huh. and like, just <laughs> like it horrified me it horrified I'd be like, me good. i could not speak it's like, Mom, did you agree to marry Dad, or was this kind yeah. of a... yeah? And but like, just, how do you get? How do you read that from watching that movie? My <laughs> God, I um, mm, yeah, some films. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that I I don't know how common that kind of view is in Australia, but let me tell you, very sadly, it is wildly oh. common in America. America. Thankfully, not common amongst at least my group of friends. So, <laughs> very thankfully, so. Um, thankfully, not again. Not amongst my group of like close friends, but amongst my Facebook acquaintances. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and mm. the states in which we live. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oddly enough, the very north and the very south are, you know, it, pe- yep. people polarize at the extremes. So, so yeah. In in the um, in the Midsummer thread. Like this dude was just blaming Danny for everything and Christian was perfectly fine. Someone responded, I feel like the best possible way that this person could have 
without just like going off. I don't feel like the response was strong enough, but I think that it was actually a tempered response to try to meet this person, you know, quasi halfway to hopefully get them to understand here's why you're so wrong without just, you know, again, (laughs) putting him on blast. But he was basically saying, like, Christian isn't taking any sort of responsibility. And, you know, sure, in in relationships, there's always, you know, a a number of factors. But here's all this other stuff going on. And I don't feel like he went far enough in talking about just how terrible Christian is. But, like, that is why Midsommar still haunts me, is how, unfortunately, like, real and relevant it is of, you know, like, like Danny's character the entire time. And... Maybe it's just my background in psychology. I hope not. I hope that you don't have to have, you know, eight years of schooling and have worked with, you know, hundreds of people to have this understanding of basic human functioning. But the way that she apologized and how quickly mm-hmm. she apologized and, and like the manner in oh, which she apologized. Brutal. It's yeah. just like that's the most that, brutal thing. Ever. Yeah, that is the apology of someone under extreme emotional duress. Like when mm-hmm. when all of the friends are uh, about to trip on shrooms, and she's like, "No, I, I don't want to right now," and and Christian is like, "Oh well, you know, I I can do it. I I can wait with you," which he wasn't like wanting to. It was more of like the "Oh come on, oh" kind of mm-hmm. response from him. And the, when she was like, "No, no, sorry, no, I was being dumb," she's like, "No, goddamn it, you weren't. No, f- you Christian. No, no, no. <laughs> I was so so angry." every single thing that Christian was doing throughout the entire movie. Oh, I love him. <laughs> but you love him because he's hateable, which is different. Yeah, no, not just that. You know, I I do feel some sympathy for Christian as well. I do. I mean, I, sure. when I watched it, I was like, like he, he is completely wrongheaded in his way of trying to like he should have just ripped the band-aid but mm. yeah well but also the way that like he tries to steal the uh, thesis out from his friend and like yeah. everything about it and let me let me take a step back <laughs> i can understand the sympathy of not every person is like inherently evil maybe this was all of christian's upbringing maybe it was like a number of things contributing and not just like a dark-hearted person but that doesn't change the fact that like everything that he was doing towards Danny was just like an immediate oh f- you for me and yeah and yeah but like, uh, yeah also by that stage I feel like it's established very well that he is so so resentful of Danny yeah like he mm-hmm. is he is almost purposefully trying to be a dick I think because he just wants her to leave him yeah. but her to break up with him yeah. but yeah and but he's also so desperately afraid of any kind of confrontation yeah because it will make him seem like the bad guy if there's a confrontation well, and so he's yeah. avoiding he's avoiding he avoids confrontations like that, with all of his friends throughout the entire film he's always the Oh well, you know, I'm just trying to be the nice guy here. I also wonder if did you watch the director's cut? I've not. Mm. Yeah, because uh, there there is a, an extra scene in the director's cut that I think um, really tips the balance from <clears throat> from it being well, clearly not in your guys' reading, um, but <laughs> it, 
in, in my 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 first reading of the film, um, it being uh, me being able to empathise with Christian more um, than him just being an out and out villain. Uh, there is there is one extra scene between Danny and Christian, um, like it's like the final argument that they have, where it just the film makes it abundantly clear that Christian is now just flat out to her face being a complete dick. And mm-hmm. it, it tips it away from what I thought was a, a kind of like, you could maybe empathize with his point of view mm-hmm. um, from the start. And, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but clearly you didn't have any of that. <laughs> Very much not. And, and, and I, think, again, I think also just like, I, I love Jack Renner and I've been a, such a big fan of him as an actor since um, what Richard did and all of his and like following his career since and so he played the role great oh my god I love as as an actor he did a great job the character is despicable and uh, and and again my background I think definitely shapes that because again her her apology just her apology had me so angry with how he responded but Here's something else that I wanted to get off my chest relatively soon while it's still kind of fresh um, before we eventually get to this episode, uh, you know, doing a full review. Who knows when? Because I might forget this by then. And so, Eric will be so angry if you talked about this. <laughs> he will. <laughs> so um, I realized in, in watching some of this uh, chat and again, like having some side chats about that Reddit thread. And when uh, the person in the Reddit thread that posted about Danny, um, you know, like about like, you know, not being sexually active enough for Christian and like how terrible that was of her. Also, that dude. Um, But I realized that Christian is like to his core, the same as Billy from Scream how they are responding and like how they are manifesting themselves is wildly different, but it, it was the, the comment about not having sex and thinking about uh, Sydney's comment in scream about being a sexual camel where like she's blaming herself for their relationship problems rather than blaming Billy for being overbearing and, you know, manipulative. And that's when I started thinking about like, oh, oh shit, like these are exactly the same where they are both blaming the girlfriend for their problems. Mm-hmm. They're blaming the girlfriend for the lack of sex. They're blaming the girlfriend for their emotional health issues. You know, like think of and scream uh, the scene in the hallway after Billy gets out of jail when he's like, I'm sorry that your mom's dead, but my mom's gone too. There's no reason for you not to have sex with me or however that line goes. But like he's blaming her <laughs> for going through a trauma of the anniversary of her mom's murder. Like there's so much about what's going on. The, the way that Billy uh, like basically pins everything on stew is very similar to the way that Christian tries to steal the thesis out from his friend. There's so mm. much about these characters that it feels exactly the same. And I think that that's one of the things about Midsommar, again, that just keeps sticking with me. And the more that I think about it, the more I find this movie just utterly fascinating. It's easy for people to recognize why Billy is terrible because he is clearly doing terrible things. 
more people look at Christian and be like, oh, he's not doing that bad of stuff. And it's like, but, but, he, but he is. He's just like hiding it and like blaming other people. And that's kind of what's so wrong with America and, you know, other places as well, but especially America with the, if I'm not the one doing terrible things, then clearly I'm not the one at fault, no matter how much I let these terrible things happen and blame other people for the terrible things that are clearly not their fault. It just, I, I, I don't know. It, um, it's bugged me and it stuck with me. And Midsommar is an amazing movie that should not be billed as a horror movie. It should be billed as a, uh, a relationship drama with some comedy and just a horror mm-hmm. ending because yeah, going into it, expecting horror, you're not going to get it going into it, expecting relationship problems and then seeing how terribly it ends. It's like, that's ah, yeah. Good for her. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, it is. A, it is such a fun film. It's such really, a funny ending. It really is. <laughs> okay. Th- those are my thoughts on uh, Midsommar. Lovely. Dan, what are some mm-hmm. of your thoughts, Dan? I think, uh, especially with talking about Top Gun, I think that it's time that we went into the danger zone. The, <laughs> the, the danger <laughs> zone. Danger zone. No, I, 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 love, <laughs> I love Midsommar so much. Um, I... I fanboy hard for uh, Ari Aster. I just do you, do you I, I don't understand how he out of, of of his new film. That oh, didn't he, land. what were they saying? Like it's two hundred and ten minutes long. Yeah, that's sign me up. He doesn't want to cut, but A twenty four wants him to. Yeah, uh, but man, everything he has put out, I have I have just thoroughly enjoyed. Um. Midsommar for yeah. me was really what made it so interesting was just that like I know, I know this is not a new take on it but just the fact that it's such a bright film yeah it's so bright and so colorful that it looks like it should be a merry romp of a movie instead of just like this gut wrenching film that deals with with trauma and grief and again, as as you just put, you know, a lot of bad relationships all around. Here's the thing uh, about that that I find so fascinating that I think actually separates Midsommar from other daylight folk horror movies. Because, you know, people, there's tons of people making the comparison like, oh, just watch Wicker Man. Just watch all this other stuff. They did it better. No. Here's, no. Here's the thing about Midsommar. It is taking place at night. Like, yeah. It's just where they are. It's, you know, it, it's constant daylight, which, yeah. again, putting that lens onto the film of everything that's happening is happening like in this darkness. Yeah. But there's but almost like this daylight facade on it. Yeah. Which I, I feel like that adds a deeper layer. It's it's a simple thing to do. And, like, that's so yeah, basic. I love but, that's what causes Will oh Bolter to freak out in in like that scene, you know, the drug, <laughs> right. the drug taking scene. It's like. There, he's fine on his little mushroom trip until he finds out it's like nine o'clock at night. Yeah, and he cannot handle that information. Um, and I know you, you talked a lot about you know this. This movie is funny. Yeah, it re- pretty much. I, I will Poulter every scene he's in. I'm just like, God damn, he's doing some good work here. This is some underappreciated good work because he, he's he's playing. 
the asshole friend of the asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like that actually, like in a way, makes Christian almost seem more sympathetic because it's like, oh, there's clearly the worser one in the group. Yeah. Yeah. But he, but I, I love the fact too that his character has no equivocations about who he is. Yeah. Like he's the one who immediately is like, no, you need to dump her. She is, you know, she is, he, he's not right in his, <laughs> what he's saying about her, but at least he's not afraid to just be the prick. Yeah. He's, uh, he's the one literally pissing on the ancestral tree. Like he's the yeah. one doing the outright terrible stuff. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, uh, it's something. And special. I will say for a film that isn't filled with much horror, uh, what happens to him is horrific. Yeah. Um, the scene that it, where it shows him in the little, I don't even know what the cabin where he's strung up like something out of Hannibal is just amazing. It's with his lungs on the outside of his body acting like wings. Almost like this is gorgeous. It, it was very reminiscent of Hellraiser when they go into that little death cabin. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and that's what happens when you piss on the grave of their elders, yep. <laughs> or their ceremonial tree or whatever the fuck it was. <laughs> I'm sure James Cameron knows what it is. Uh, yeah, like as I, I don't know. There's there's tons about Midsommar. We're gonna do a full episode at some point. The way that when they're on shrooms, like there's that very slight distortion that if you don't pay attention to, it's e- easy to not notice. But as soon as you notice it, you can't stop noticing it. I just I love the way that this movie is playing with perceptions, and and again like having that brightness in in such utter darkness, and like trying to put the facade of everything's okay. See, everything's okay. It's still daylight. Everything's fine. Much in the same way that Danny is like, no, no, it's okay. No, sorry, no, no. I shouldn't have said. That. Sure, we can we can take mushrooms. It's just, mm. boy, I love that movie. I so I also uh, marvel at the balls to pretty much put everything that's going to happen in the movie into the artwork of the <laughs> <Yeah>. film. <laughs> like everything that's a painting or, you know, on a wall in that film seems like it's telling you something that's going to happen and it is just giving it all away. Oh yeah. But you don't notice that on the first watch. And, unless you already know, like I already knew about the bear at the end. So the painting yeah. in her apartment with a giant bear is like, I, <laughs> All right, come on. <laughs> oh, man. Speaking yeah. of con- comedy, the line is just, there's a bear. Love that. So, mm-hmm. like, it, it's doing the checkoff shotgun thing of literally pointing out the bear in the cage that then seemingly has no purpose, never comes back. But what's it doing there? There was one scene with a bear, and then, oh, <laughs> that's why. And it's beautiful. Checkoff's bear. If I remember correctly, uh, A24 on their shop at one point had like a bear in a cage Christmas ornament that you could order, yep. and I was so mad at myself for not getting it. Completely uh, switching gears, Universal Monsters. Our theme nice. for June is Universal Monsters, because it's June and we're talking about the Universal Monsters. I love Universal Monsters. I've been going back and rewatching them. Uh, I'm, I'm watching them in chronological order. And I do not have enough time to get through all of them. <laughs> I'm gonna have to be pulling some all nighters coming up soon. But uh, yeah, they're they're That's great movies. I, I'm gonna have a lot more to say about that when we do our popcorn punch out. 
There's two things that I want to say right now. Spanish Dracula is superior to Dracula. And the mummy is a masterpiece. Don't listen to Eric. He doesn't know what he's talking about. That movie is not boring. It is brilliant. It's I find slow. I find a lot of the Universal Monsters movies boring. Like <laughs> that's the fine. majority of them are boring. There's a lot of talking. <laughs> a lot of talking I, in the middle section. Some, some of them are yeah. I like I I think that they are low budget movies, even for the time. Like they weren't they weren't like the highest priority from the studio. <laughs> yeah. Um and I and, and some of that shows through. They like they would rather go with the the, the play script for Dracula than the actual <laughs> film script that was written. They're like, there's too many scenes. There's too many locations. Let's just do the play version. <laughs> yeah. And the, it, it does help that they're mostly short. Like most of them are under 80 yeah. minutes. Mm-hmm. So much so that when there's one that's 90 or 100 minutes, you're like, oh my God, why is this movie so long? <laughs> but, but yeah, some of them are thinking out like only 71 and 74 minutes. They're, they're incredibly short, but, uh, but yeah, the mummy, it is much better than Eric says that it is expect how boring it is because it, it is a boring movie. It's very slow, but pay attention to the music. And I, to me, it's going to be one of my arguments. Uh, if, if these movies go up against each other, uh, in the punch out, the mummy is the more superior version of Dracula, not the characters, but the movie because they're yeah. both doing very, very similar things. But I think the mummy's more interesting about it. Yeah. I, I might agree with you there on that. <laughs> Cause I really did not like Dracula. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not my favorite. Uh, no. Um, and out of, out of all the mummy films I've seen, I still think it's probably better than the Tom Cruise one. So it's <laughs> mm. fair. So Robert, I don't know. Uh, you're certainly welcome to, but I don't know if you're going to be joining us for that popcorn punch out episode. If you do not, uh, what three movies do you hope makes it to the end uh, for the, for the movies that we're going to be covering for June? Um, I would say first up, Bride of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect second, movie. Second up, Creature from the Black Lagoon in 3D. <sighs> Specifically in 3D. It is <laughs> my favorite and perfect except for one thing. <laughs> and um, third, honestly, I don't know. Maybe throw in a Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. (laughs) (laughs) Just, just for the heck of it. Those three are perfect, perfect movies. So if those are the three that we end up with, I'm not even going to be remotely upset about that. Those are, uh, those are are solid flicks. I I only watched Bride of Frankenstein for the first time last year. Um, and it was, (laughs) it was quite the revelation. It's like, yeah, this, this is this is every all the iconography of Frankenstein is from this movie, not the original movie. <laughs> yep. Everything I know about Frankenstein is from this film, and also, it's it's got Katie Nana from 
<laughs> from Mary Poppins in it. Yeah. <laughs> it love does. It. And it has Dr. Pretorius, who is just... Yeah. Who I love his character. He's so good. Yeah. Yep. Uh, all right. I have, I have two more things. If you all still have time. If you need to go, we can cut this show. Yeah. Uh, the the vinegar syndrome sale starts tonight at midnight, so I'm good until midnight. Uh, <laughs> you you got to be quick. I I don't think we're gonna take another forty minutes. Um, the not the last episode that we did, not the last episode that we recorded, um, but the, at this point, two episodes ago, currently the the last episode that is posted, uh, we did our chat film fest preview with Chris Dorch, and mm-hmm. uh, we talked a lot about the ones that we're really excited about. But Robert, are there any movies that that you are especially excited about? Uh, either ones that we already talked about during the episode, or anything else that uh, that we didn't cover that uh, that you are looking forward to. Um, I am looking forward to after your discussion. I'm looking forward to Gateway. Um, mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to Honeycomb. Um, you didn't talk much about Interface, but oh no, I mentioned it. I made you talk did, about it. Did we talk about that one? <laughs> I to get, is, is that the uh, animated one? Animation. The animated one, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure that the animation was was, was on the list there. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, and I think I will bring out my DVD of the Langoliers. I think I'll I think I'll give it a watch, so I can see Timekeepers of Eternity. A film that will probably only be available to watch at a film festival. Mm-hmm. Now, Gateway's yeah. not one of the ones that you've seen before, right? Because you've already seen a, a few that have been in other film fests. I, yeah, I've seen Bitch Ass. I've seen Dawn Breaks Behind the Eyes. Um, I've seen uh, The Outwaters. Um, I think that's it out of the narrative films there. Yeah. I'm reading it. Um, Landlocked could be interesting as well. Which so. one was that one? Um, I don't have that pulled up right now. It's the the, the, the VHS one, the one that used the, the guy's real Oh, VHS yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where like, he's going uh, back and like at his yeah. uh, home and rediscovering things. Yeah. Basically, any film I haven't seen yet is on my list. <laughs> 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 and then even then, some of the ones I have seen, oh... I'll be showing to people so <laughs> uh, yeah, if excited. if it's not on your radar and it should be because you listen to our episode but definitely definitely check out Anthony Cousins uh, short every time we meet for ice cream your whole f-ing face explodes oh, it, yes I have seen that it is it's yes. so adorable <laughs> it's just very cute though. It, it's, it's just it makes me happy you know like it, it has some of that uh, sort of like classic universal monster like tragic character but in a heartwarming way where they're not the monster they're the sympathetic person and it's uh yeah. it's beautiful i love it <laughs> have have you seen any of uh anthony cousin's other work very specifically if you enjoy body horror have you ever seen when susser stirs i have not oh boy howdy all right, the two of you say some words because I am going to pull this up on YouTube and add the link in the chat. No. I, know, I know that body I, horror is I not, not for everyone. I have not either, so I have nothing to offer on it. <laughs> I, okay, so I know body horror is not for everyone. 
and uh, very understandably so. Uh, this is also it's it's a very disgusting body horror, <laughs> but in a way that is just <laughs> so disgusting. so. Showing a short film called Guts that I highly recommend. God, I see. It's, it's uh, I think it's it's. I'm pretty sure they're they're showing it at Chattanooga, um, and that it's it's exactly what you think it is, and also not. <laughs> <laughs> and but, that's um, everything that I want. But great body horror. <laughs> yeah. When, oh, okay. So obviously don't watch this right now. Um, Is that the one that's based on the Olenek story? Short story? Maybe. Does, I don't does know. it involve a pool? No. No. <laughs> it does involve a <laughs> movie theater. It's not. It's okay. not. Guts. Guts is not. It's not that it, story. Oh, I, I, I have read that story. So it's fantastic. <laughs> Uh, do not watch when Susser stirs around family. Do not watch it at work. It is, it's gross. Like it, it is unsettlingly gross, and <laughs> it will hopefully make you feel queasy because it should. But it's done so damn well. Like the first time that I saw it, I was like, I, I just, I need to see more of Anthony Cousins' work, and uh, and then I did because he also. Let me see if I can find this. He also did uh, the Bloody Ballad of Squirt Reynolds, <laughs> <laughs> which I really, um, I really hope that that, that that it's on YouTube. It is. Um, it's it's a summer camp horror short, and it's. Oh, uh, I, I've, I think I've seen that one. It's it's kind of brilliant. Yeah. All right, good. It yeah, is on Alter, so I'm able to send that one as well. Ultra is a yeah. great place for uh, for horror shorts, BT dubs. And then Anthony also did one of the segments in um, Scare Package. So he's doing good stuff. And I can't hmm. wait for more. All right. So last thing. Robert, I think <laughs> that we started doing this after you joined us. I oh, yes. But... Uh, there's this game, Pitchstorm. It's upside down. Pitchstorm. It's a little party game. <laughs> yeah. We've we've used this a few times. And the actual party game, um, it, it's kind of like a apples to apples esque thing where you have character cards that have a character, such as an astronomer an astronomer that thinks they've made contact with aliens. And then you've got plot cards such as Battle's addiction to prescription drugs. And, uh, you know, in, in sort of that apples to apples fashion, different people have pairings of characters and plots and you're trying to pitch your movie and the producer that round is going to pick the one that they like the best. And then there's also these little wrinkles of notes from the producer. Well, notes such as what if this were a Western? Those are hip right now, right? <laughs> and we've had a lot of fun with this where obviously we don't play, you know, like the actual game. But where I will randomly draw some of these cards and uh, and then, you know, we, we give our pitches, not declaring a winner, but just kind of having fun with it. So if you are game for that, we can get your pitch sure. now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You need to practice pitching. So do that's do you want it to be a horror movie pitch or just a general pitch? Because I do also have the uh, the horror specific creature feature. And, and then we can also figure out I'm, which I'm, award it would win. 
I'm not fast. I feel like whatever I do, I'll turn it into a horror film. So, <laughs> all right, <laughs> those are the best, that. anyways. All right, so yeah. <laughs> the uh, the setting is uh, interior coffee shop. A caveman recently brought back to life. The plot, it. <laughs> okay, uh, I want you to actually make this movie because a caveman recently brought back to life goes undercover as a flamingo dancer to hide from the mob. Oh. <laughs> so, what do I have to do? That just, mean, that, just, that just pitch movie. the story. Oh. <laughs> That's, <laughs> you know, like. like like, like kind of outline it, you know, like, like what brought the uh, caveman back to life and, um, you know, how successful is he going to be as a flamenco dancer and why did he choose flamenco dancing? So, you know, just kind of, kind of have fun with it. Um, what? So I just tell the story. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, basically what is that story? Okay. So, um, a scientist in a laboratory, um, in the Arctic Circle have, have been working to uh, drill holes um, to try and find uh, they're, they're trying to find under the permafrost um, organisms from ancient times and they accidentally uncover a perfectly preserved human and so they cut him out and they're going to ship him to um, a museum um, stateside and on the way they get stopped at the border um, and the the truck gets confused with a drug running truck um, <laughs> for the mob um, and um, and so uh, yeah the <laughs> Uh, by a crazy happenstance, um, the guy driving went out to take a pee, uh, and and the uh, mobsters jump in the truck, thinking that it's got all the drugs shipment, and get to the other get stateside, bring it back to their mobster lair, and uh, there is now a defrosting old cave dude in the back. <laughs> they don't know what to do with it, um, and then they realise that uh, there's a. Uh, that it's going missing is a big scandal and that the FBI are, are looking on it uh, for it and um, they need to get it back um, and also get their drugs. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, uh, and just by another crazy coincidence, um, the the drugs that they've been making there um, there's a, an experimental strain and some of it gets on the caveman <laughs> and <laughs> brings him back to life and, uh, and he, he goes insane and runs off and is exploring this crazy new world as the um, incompetent uh, henchmen quickly uh, spring after him um, but they lose him when he wanders into a, a coffee shop owned by uh, Consuela, who is uh, an aspiring f- flamenco dancer whose uh, partner has recently sprained his ankle um, and, and, and sees in 
it, uh, when when she finds this man hiding in the coffee shop late one night, um, she sees in him great potential for flamenco because of his unique physique. His <laughs> great um, diversive moves, but um, he's only good when he's on the drugs um, <laughs> that brought him back to life. Love it. Um, so, uh, so he he forms a friendship and indeed a romance um, that um, forces Consuela to realize that the man that she's with isn't valuing her and that this caveman um, sees her more cleanly than anyone ever has. And the caveman makes it to the finals um, but has run out of drugs uh, and that's when Consuela convinces him that he never needed the drugs to dance the flamenco, that it was within him all along. Um, And through their dancing being televised on national TV, both the FBI um, and the museum and the mobs all realize <laughs> that this flamenco dancer is the caveman. And they all converge in the dance finale. Um, there's a big shootout. The mobsters get arrested. Um, the caveman um, who has been taught English through Consuela demands um, demands his rights as a as a US citizen <laughs> uh, because he was here before everyone else so he's <laughs> um, and um, and they they get married and live happily ever after at the end <laughs> I adore that so yep. who's uh, who's going to be playing the caveman who's playing Consuela and who's playing the mob boss um um, 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 okay. The caveman is played by... Actually, you, you, uh, you know what? Before you do that, I just pulled up my note card, and this is going to have an impact on what you're about to respond. Oh, okay. Can we do this whole movie with puppets? Actors make me nervous. So, <laughs> who would be the voice actors, apparently, for the puppets <laughs> doing all of this? Voice actors. Okay. Um, doing dance with puppets is not advisable, but uh, <laughs> but if you can pull it off, then damn. I mean, if, if you want, I can give uh, you a different note. I can do... Um, no, no, that's fine. I would just do yeah. voice actors. Voice actors is easy because then I don't have to worry about age. It's true. Um, just the voice. Um, so I would have... Um, I would have... Selma Hayek as Consuela. I would have uh, Michael Shannon as the caveman, not <laughs> as the monster. <laughs> I would have him as the caveman. Um, and I would probably have uh, Colin Firth as the scientist <laughs> and um, Ethan Embry as the henchman. Ooh, good choice there. I love it. All right. So, Dan, I'm going to add you to this wrinkle. I'm going to add okay. in the award season. So now you need to explain how the movie that Robert just described, which, by the way, <laughs> I need that movie. Oh, my God. That sounds amazing. 
like it it was humorous until you got to the he needs the drugs to dance it was like okay not i'm fully on board dan you have to explain how this movie uh robert do you have a name for this movie uh man like fire and ice is already taken so (laughs) (laughs) you you can just reuse it (laughs) and scene and two uh come back to me (laughs) (laughs) all right so so dan Mm -hmm. you need to explain how this movie is going to win the award for the highest budget and you cannot just say well because of all the actors are going to cost a lot well i mean you you've got so many locations because there's obviously you, you, you you've got the ice scenes and all the machinery that's going to be necessary to just dig him out of the ice um so i see something very i see something almost like a there will be blood in scope with <laughs> with the drilling um ooh there will be dance there will be da- oh there we go robert is missing this unfortunately um, wait for a second but yes <laughs> okay we have the we, name we for your movie we've solved your title problem yes okay because one of i see that like one of the opening scenes this is almost going to be like a 30 minute long scene like with the drilling scene at the beginning of there will be blood um, <laughs> so nathan your title so the name of the movie there will be dance <laughs> lovely plus you're going it. you're going to need to know why consuelo loves the flamenco dance so much so you're going to need flashback scenes to like cuba or wherever she's from sure. which is just another location to add to it um not to mention uh puppetry i feel like that's going to be expensive puppetry is hugely expensive and yeah. very time consuming very yeah. time consuming like i mean especially budget up easily i mean i and you're probably going to want some stop motion work in this to go with the puppet. So you're going to need Henry Selick, which I, I'm sure he doesn't come cheap. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the melting scene alone is going to blow like, you yeah. know, half of the uh, stop motion budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that's why I feel like this is going to be the most expensive movie of all time. Um, and, and, you know, James Cameron's going to want a piece of this just because <laughs> he's going to invent a new way of shooting puppets so that it looks more realistic in their motion. Um, I, can, I, can, I can see Laika yeah. uh, doing doing a movie like this. They've already done a, a caveman movie, and they've already done, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that, that's how this one's winning that the highest budget. There's just going to be because I mean it's really a four quadrant movie, all you know. So they're going to want to make sure this is as successful as possible. Yeah, by making it's it possible. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's Encino Man meets uh, the Great Muppet Caper um, meets meets um, I don't know Desperado <laughs> or no um, oh shit what was what was the first uh, what was the first one in that trilogy El Mariachi yeah <laughs> so Encino Man meets El Mariachi meets Great, Mu- Great Muppet Caper I am Lovely. on board. So yeah, that's uh, that's pitch meeting. I have a lot of fun with this. It's uh, it brings me great joy <laughs> to hear people talk about yeah. made up movies. Don't be surprised if I actually pitch this movie. Oh dear God, <laughs> please do. And if so, uh, you know, g- give Video Monsters a producing credit or something. Executive <laughs> producers. That doesn't mean shit, right? Like that's. <laughs> yeah. 
For sure. Yeah. Uh, all right. I I oh. think that I'm about out of words, and Dan, you probably need to start prepping for well, your vinegar syndrome. Just one thing I want to let you know, Nathan, because I don't think you've seen. I don't think you saw. No, you did see it. Yeah. Uh, where where I recast Snatch using Muppets on yes. Facebook a couple years ago. Yeah. And no, like that is a perfect recasting too. That is. I I literally. Sp- <laughs> I mean, I cast God one two. I mean, Robert, you're not on my Facebook, but I had uh, a Kermit as the um, Jason Statham character. Yeah. You can find like a little picture of Kermit in a trench coat and a hat. Uh, I had Scooter as uh, Tommy. Yeah. Um, Gonzo as the Brad Pitt character. Fozzie Bear as Dennis Farina's character. (laughs) Uh, I can never remember the guy's name, but he's the one with a really weird mustache. The Muppet as the Benicio del Toro character. Once um, in Honeydew as um, shit, Ari, the 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 diamond guy. Um, the Swedish chef as the, the butcher, obviously. <laughs> Sam the Eagle as Bricktop. Oh my god! Um, two of the band members as the two bookie robbers. Uh, and Beaker as Jason Fleming's character, and Animal as the bare knuckle boxer guy who gets knocked out. It, it, it's some of the best work I've ever done, I think, casting wise. What about the dog, Ralph? Uh, Ralph, yeah. Ralph would be. You've, you've um, already got the. Mo- <laughs> yeah, right. Ralph be. Ralph. That makes sense. <laughs> I mean, Ralph no, the dog. The dog. Would, I would probably use. I would probably use Ratso Rizzo as the dog. <laughs> the diamond stuck in his throat. You yeah. also need um uh the the bass player from Doctor Teeth. Uh, what's her name? Um, oh, Janice. Janice. Yeah, Janice would play the twins. The yeah, Dad, you told us. Oh my God! Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, because I had also had Miss Piggy as the the mum who needed the caravan. Because <laughs> you gotta have Miss Piggy in the movie. Oh yeah. But yeah, I, 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 when a friend challenged me that, challenged me to that, I think I spent like four to five hours, like really thinking about it. Cause yeah, nerds. <laughs> <laughs> hey, nerds have fun. Yeah. Ah, oh, yeah. That's, that's brilliant. I would love to see uh, a Muppet version of that, but also I like, I wouldn't part of me loves the, uh, the like, what ifs, you know, like if you could recast any movie with all Muppets, but keep one human actor. Mm-hmm. I love those. I have so much fun with those. Mm-hmm. And I think that they could be a lot of fun, but they would have to be a Muppet movie. Like it couldn't yeah. be snatch with Muppets. Mm-hmm. It would have to be much more akin to, you know, the great Muppet caper where they're doing all of the Muppet things. Yeah. And, you know, still keeping it like family friendly. Cause as soon as they're not, it, it loses the fun of, you know, <laughs> snatch with the Muppets. <laughs> there's, there's a whole bunch of movies I can imagine Muppets doing that would be wonderful. I think uh, Muppets Midsummer would be genius. <laughs> I mean, Fozzie Bear being the bear. Yeah, you would just have Fozzie would, Bear as the bear, and it would be a musical. You'd be a great musical. You would have uh, Miss Piggy as Danny. You yeah. would have Kermit as the Norwegian friend. So not as Christian. Kermit would not be Christian. Oh, bold. Yeah. 
because yeah, yeah, I think Christian should be Jack Renner. I think he should be the human character. Somehow, somehow that actually makes it better to have like a cult of Muppets because uh, yeah, <laughs> and she fits in there. Yeah, it was her family all along. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. I I know that the cult is supposed to be scary or creepy or whatever in Midsommar, but it's like family there, you know, I just, <laughs> they're happy, content people, man. <laughs> you know? There's like, they, they were disturbing, but there's also something very heartwarming about the ending, mm. not just the good for her, but you know, good for her, but also, you know, she found her family, which is <laughs> good. Ah, uh, there's probably more things that we could be talking about, but this has gone on long enough. Uh, I need sleep. Dan, you need to prep for your vinegar syndrome sale. And uh, <laughs> Robert, you need to go start working on um, uh, There Will Be Dance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I, there, there better be a treatment for that. Like you, you need to submit that to the, um, uh, uh, the, the pitch thing for Chat Film Fest. I've, I've already submitted something for that, but Maybe I can do another one. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. We need to close things out. Robert, where can people find you? And we probably should mention this at the very beginning. Where can they also find your film and ideal host, which we here at video monsters love and very fully recommend. Um, you can find my film, uh, on pretty much any, uh, VOD streaming service. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you really want, you can also order a DVD or a Blu-ray from a, from Amazon or a, a bunch of other sites. Um, it's also uh, it's region free Blu-ray, nice, which, nice, which I found out because I ordered one, not knowing if people would be mm-hmm. able to play it here, but you can. Um, and as for me, I am um, extreme underscore Bob on Instagram. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm Woods Row on Facebook. Um, my letterboxd is also Woods Row. I watch a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. Very true. And I review them all. And almost all of them are three stars. <laughs> that's like, that's my, yeah, that's fine. You, you have a very <laughs> tight window of two and a half to three and a half. Yeah. It, there's like, I've got like six tiers of three star movie in my head <laughs> but at the end of every year i i list my films from my favorite to least and that's where you really see the layout of of the three star but films have to do very specific things to warrant over or under that um for me yeah that's that's fair enough uh one of the things that we were going to talk about if eric had been able to join us because Part of what prompted this episode was me and Eric talking after work and him being like, I want a podcast tonight. And it's like, all right, let's do it. And then he didn't show up. Uh, we, we were talking a little bit about the lighthouse and whether or not it was entertaining, whether or not it had a plot, right. whether or not it was art. And it's just like, it's like I said at the very beginning of this episode, I still need more time to process it because even though I had fun with it, it's not a movie that I think was made for entertainment purposes. And even though that I think it depends, that, it depends if you watch it with a group of people or not, because I've done both. 
and uh, <laughs> again, I uh, had a blast with it. I had a blast with it, but it's not like watching like a Marvel movie or Mission Impossible or uh, oh, it totally, it totally was for my group. <laughs> Fair it, enough. Like it literally was that. It was, it was such a roller coaster. <laughs> it's I, it, again, it's a blast, but it's like I, I don't feel like it was made for entertainment outside of certain groups. It's very artfully done. Outside of certain groups. <laughs> it's, a, it's very artfully done, but it's it doesn't hit on the same level as saying, you know, like it's like possession where it's more of the experience. But it is kind of an experience, but it's also not because it doesn't really do anything and it doesn't lean that heavily into it. And it's like surely it means something talking about just isolation and, you know, like what is reality? But also I don't think that it meant anything and and yeah eric and i talking a little bit about that um mm. was, was what prompted all this and that relates to the there's lots of movies that are three stars i think that movies fall into like art experience and entertainment and some movies are great pieces of art that are just a slog to get through and so it's hard mm. to give those more than you know like a three and a half where it's like yeah it's a great movie that i hated watching it's hard to give that a five if you don't love it, you know? Mm-hmm. But then there's other movies where it's like, I adore this movie, but I know that it's trash. So it's kind of hard to give it a five. No matter how much I enjoyed it, I recognize that it's not good. So yeah, I, I understand the uh, complexities of the two and a half to three and a half. <laughs> which is why I just use the heart rating of, did I have fun with it? Yep. I got some bad <laughs> movies that I have hearted because I liked watching them. <laughs> Anywho. Love it. Dan, where do you want people to find you and your thoughts on movies? Find me over on Twitter at HBO to Front Row and on HBO to Front Row.com. And you can follow me slash the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Video Monster Pod. You can also follow me personally on Letterboxd at The Gargyle. That's G A R G Y L E because it's a gargoyle wearing an Argyle sweater. My personal Letterboxd is where I log everything that I've watched. The Video Monsters Letterboxd is where I will eventually, once I have time, uh, catalog all of the reviews that we've done and uh, link those to all of the the movies that we've watched. So it'll be basically a, a cataloging service for the podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And wherever you do get those podcasts, leave those five-star reviews and positive ratings. And then go tell all of your friends. Share us on social media. Start spreading the love that is Video Monsters. And uh, join us in Discord. We record live, usually Tuesday nights. Usually. Sometimes different nights. Sometimes not Tuesday at all because our kids are sick. Uh, but we try to record every Tuesday night at around nine after we get our kids to bed. Join us in Discord. The link is posted in Facebook and probably other socials as well. I don't remember where all I post it, but I typically, I think, uh, add the link in the episode description. So wherever you're listening to this, just you know, scroll down, click on that, join us in Discord, and uh, be a part of our live episodes. We have our popcorn punch out video rack attack bracket coming up very soon. We are going to be doing a theme punch out uh, and the popcorn punch outs. We start with 20 movies and then randomly pair 16 of them and work down to our top three. We also have a few little wrinkles where we can uh, resurrect some cards that get kicked out earlier than we want them to. And, you know, it's just fun debating the movies that uh, that we want to talk about because <laughs> we do that anyways so we just turned it into an episode we have a theme punch out coming up where we're going to be uh, picking the themes for july 
August and November. Typically, we're going to be doing it based off of season. So um, I have to think about my seasons. February, March. No, no, that's not right. March, April, May for spring. June, July, August for summer. September, October, November for fall. And then December, January, February for winter. Uh, But because we already had uh, Universal Monsters for June picked out and because we already have our theme for September and October picked out, we're uh, flipping that around a little bit. But we're going to be doing the same thing. We're starting with 20 possibilities and then randomly pairing 16 themes, debating them, figuring out which three we're going to be covering for those three months. And then we're going to be doing the popcorn punch out for Universal Monsters, trying to figure out what movies we're going to be covering there. And for both of these, uh, the audience has a little bit of a say, not necessarily in what we're going to pick, but at least in what options are going to be in the skull, because uh, we put them in a big plastic Halloween skull decoration. So uh, fill out those surveys. We have those posted again on various socials. And if you're listening to this after those have already closed, then uh, we're going to be doing this every month because that's apparently how we've decided that we're going to pick our movies from now on so whatever the current survey is go fill that out and tell us what you think we should be covering and if you feel especially impassioned about uh, one of the choices and you really really want to sway one of us join us in discord jump in that popcorn punch out uh, channel in the discord server in the video monster server and and make your plea for why Eric- i can I can say from experience that it, it does work. <laughs> you can't sway votes. <laughs> there have been times. You know what? Uh, not just there have been times. There was a specific time that I could not make up my mind. So I just deferred to Robert. I was like, all right, Robert, you, you pick it for me. So, uh, so yeah, the audience does have some impact on, on what we're going to be covering. Because we're doing this for you. We're doing this for us, but we're also doing this for you. So join us and talk about your love of movies with us. And I'm trying to remember if there's any other announcements, reminders. Uh, oh, Chat Film Fest is June 23rd through 28th. Uh, badges are on sale. Go get those badges now because even though it is a virtual film fest, it can still sell out. There are limits to how many they can actually sell. There are limits to how many can be uh, in the screening at a certain time. So get those batches while they're still available. And if you're not quite sure whether or not you should uh, get a badge, listen to the last, not last, the episode before last that we did with our CFF preview with uh, festival director Chris Dorch, where we talk about some of the preview highlights that we're most excited about. And are there any other announcements that I typically make? I can't remember. It's getting late for two of us. Nope. All right. That should be all of our announcements. Go listen to movies. Listen to movies. Listen to us. Watch movies. Dan needs to go right now before the sale opens. We will I need to get you. my cloak and I need to get my cloak and dagger Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> you need to uh, summon the video monster gods, monsters, whatever. I'm tired. All right. That's been it for this episode of Video Monsters. I'm Nathan. I'm Dan. And I'm Robin. (laughs) (laughs) And we will see you next time. Good night, everybody.